0: Welcome to the Development Podcast, a podcast jam-packed with fantastic advice on professional development from interviews with renowned authors, speakers, industry professionals, and influencers. I'm your host, Martin Mansalves. Thanks again for tuning in. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening in. Uh, Today, I'm excited and honored to have bestselling author, attorney, and speaker Kwame Christian here to discuss how to negotiate more effectively. Uh, Kwame is the director of the American Negotiation Institute and is a respected voice in the field of negotiation and conflict resolution. He's the host of the world's most popular negotiation podcast, Negotiate Anything, which is dedicated and focused to empowering others to the art and science of negotiation and persuasion. Kwame is well known for his TEDx, Dayton Talk, Finding Confidence in Conflict. Uh, It was one of the most popular TEDx talks on the topic of conflict in 2017 uh, and has been viewed over 150,000 times. He has also published an Amazon bestseller, Finding Confidence in Conflict, How to Negotiate Anything and Live Your Best Life, which has helped countless individuals overcome fear and anxiety. Additionally, Kwame serves as a negotiation and conflict resolution professor at The Ohio State University's College of Law and is a business lawyer representing businesses in a broad scope of legal needs. So again, Kwame, thank you so much for joining. It's a pleasure to have you. How are you doing?
1: Doing great, man. How are you?
0: Really good. Thank you. So can you start us off by sharing a bit about your experience applying negotiation in business and law?
1: Yeah, it's been a fun ride. And so for me, I... um... I've used this in all aspects of my life. And I think that's one of the most interesting things about my approach is that it's not just limited to business and negotiation uh, for my clients as a lawyer. It's recognizing that the skills of negotiation can be applied everywhere. And so the definition I like to use for negotiation is any conversation where somebody in the conversation wants something. And what you realize is that we're negotiating all the time, negotiating every day. And actually, Mm -hmm. the people with whom we negotiate the most are the people who are closest to us. And so for me, my motto is the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations. And so with what I'm doing, my goal is to try to make those difficult conversations easier. And so I do that with the American Negotiation Institute, where we conduct negotiation trainings, and through the podcast as well.
0: Really neat. Thank you for sharing. So over time, what are some of the most effective strategies around negotiation that you've been able to pick up up, uh, that have worked effectively for you?
1: Well, one is called the Compassionate Curiosity Framework. And um, this was in my book, Finding Confidence in Conflict. And it's a really simple approach to handling our most difficult conversations, whether it's at work or at home, this con- this approach is-, is designed to be powerful in all those situations. And so the first step is acknowledging and validating emotions. The next step is getting curious with compassion. And then the third step is joint problem solving. And um, it's designed also to help overcome those challenging emotions, too. So we think about um, how sometimes people are irrational. Uh, they're not thinking very clearly. That's just the brain <laughs> firing in, in a very predictable way. The amygdala is kind of on fire in those situations. And so when you acknowledge and validate the emotions by saying it sounds like or it seems like, it seems like you're having a really tough time here or it seems like you're, this has been really frustrating to you. And then just validating it by saying it makes sense that you feel that way given what has occurred. Um, It's really, really simple, but really, really powerful when it comes to helping people overcome these uh, challenging situations.
0: And so, you know, when you're working on that and when you're working on overcoming those situations, uh, how do you overcome, you know, sort of common barriers, whether those are initial barriers or barriers that, you know, Or once you're negotiating, you know, it's something that you experience. How do you ensure that you maintain confidence in that?
1: It's tough. It's tough. And I think one of the things that we need to do is we need to create novel excuses almost to have these difficult conversations. So something that I tell people all the time is that you need to recognize that these negotiations are everywhere. So... Some of my toughest negotiations are <laughs> with my family. You know, so I have, uh, I have a five-year-old. I have a uh, I'm married as well. And so I'm constantly using these techniques at home. And the reality mm-hmm. is the more I use them, the better I get. And when I'm using these techniques every day and being intentional about using them in these conversations that don't have a significant impact business-wise, it makes it easier for me to use these same techniques during those conversations that are very important and impactful business-wise. So I think really the key to, to building confidence and becoming more comfortable in these situations is creating these everyday opportunities to practice and improve.
0: Right. Can you share uh, a recent experience or a recent negotiation uh, that you participated in? And how did you personally prepare for that? Is your routine consistent?
1: Yeah, I try to be as consistent as possible. And I think the routine and preparation needs to be systematic. And so that's why on our website, we have uh, free guides at com slash guide. You can get access to all of our free negotiation guides that'll help you prepare systematically. Um, It's over 15 free guides. So basic business negotiation, conflict resolution, how to have difficult conversations about politics, whatever it happens to be, we have those guides Mm -hmm. there to help people. So I try to prepare thoroughly and systematically before every conversation. And um, I remember recently I was in a negotiation where um, it was there was a business aspect of the negotiation, uh, and then there was also a litigation aspect. I'm not a litigator, but on our, nego- on our le- legal team, we had litigators, and I was helping more on the business transactional side. And so the negotiation that we had was figuring out amongst ourselves which of the lawyers was gonna lead the discussion, Um, which approach do we need to use? Here's my take on it based on my experience doing business transactions and from the psychology that's happening. Um, And then they say, that makes sense, but considering these legal aspects that might actually hurt our litigation uh, approach, so we can't say that, but maybe we can say this. And so reconciling those differences amongst ourselves in order to create a coherent negotiation strategy that we could implement together and again, that just really goes to show just how important it is to use these negotiation techniques, not only externally, when we're dealing with prospects or the opposing party, whatever it might be, but also internally to make sure that all of us are on the same page so we can operate in, in concert with one another during the negotiation.
0: Right. It's really good. What sort of strategies as far as persuasion and con- um, convincing was able to help you to be you know more effective
1: think the the most persuasive tool you have at your disposal is a great question and it sounds so simple but it's really that powerful and really that easy that's why the the foundation of the compassionate curiosity framework is based on curiosity asking great open-ended questions and a lot of times what you do is not really convince people with the amazing arguments that you put together but you create a logical path where they persuade themselves you just ask the right questions they start to see things differently and then they adjust their position They feel as though they did it by themselves, but really it was your guidance that led them there.
0: So in a LinkedIn article, uh, you mentioned sometimes we're so obsessed with getting the yes that we forget that no is often the right answer. Uh, So to take it further, uh, Chris Voss, a great speaker and and a former FBI FBI hostage negotiator, says that when you say no, you feel safe and protected. You feel like you've made no commitment at all. Uh, So you are going to give more information. So I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on that quote and the power of saying no.
1: Yeah, it's it's really counterintuitive because we're always focused on trying to get that deal done. And Chris, actually, I've had him on the show, uh, the Negotiate Anything podcast before. He, he was a great guest. And um, yeah, he's absolutely right. You Sometimes you want to actually invite the other side to say no. I, I start off a lot of my negotiations with, feel free to say no to this. Um, and, uh, it makes people feel safer because usually it's the opposite. Usually it's, uh, they're like, oh man, here's this guy who's going to push for something. He's going to ask for something really hard, all that stuff. And, um, the, the reality is what ends up happening in those situations is you create a, uh, uh, a situation where they say, okay, they're going to want something. I'm going to need to defend myself. And so they're going in there with that defensive posture from the very beginning. But instead, if I just say, hey, feel free to say no to that, it, it's a pattern breaking move. They say, oh, that's, that's interesting. I mean, I'm, let me look more into this. Maybe mm-hmm. let me share a little bit more, because I feel safer. I, I, he invited me to say no, I did say no. Yeah, I'll share some information. What, what harm is there? I didn't commit to anything, right? And so, yes, for yourself, sometimes no is the right answer and you have to know how to walk away. But then also for the other side, There's a a real power in making them know that it's okay to say no because now you have clarity on what their barriers are. A lot of times people are afraid to say no and then you end up with a maybe or a yes that isn't really real. And those aren't helpful for you either.
0: Right. and There's a lot of power in that is helping people to feel that sort of safeness. So how else can you establish trust in a negotiation? I think
1: one of the fastest ways to establish trust is by... Saying something that people would be surprised that you say. Mm -hmm. Saying something that is not necessarily on its face in your best interest. So something that I like to say is I start off the the sentence by saying, well, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but here's something interesting about about me or about our situation or about my position. Um, And so for the other side, they're like, he must think I'm special, right? He must really trust me. Um, if he's willing to share that information, because yeah, he probably shouldn't have shared that information, but he did. Right. Um, and so what you're doing is you're creating trust through reciprocity. I was just vulnerable to you. And now I'm going to ask a question so you can be vulnerable to me. And the thing is, you don't do these things off the fly. You don't just say, well, let me uh, tell you everything about my personal life. <laughs> or let me tell you this secret position that I shouldn't tell you that ruins my negotiation. Not doing that. You're thinking about it thoroughly beforehand, and so you know what you can and cannot share, and so you trigger them to think, "Oh, wow, he's sharing something very vulnerable um, and, and sensitive." Okay, cool. Now it makes it more likely for them to reciprocate.
0: Motions and body language, you know, they're both very powerful. Whether that's just in communication, uh, but even further in negotiation and people recognize that instantly. Um, so I'm curious uh, wondering if you can describe the role that body language and emotions play and, and how do you ensure that uh, that you don't let emotions get in the best of you?
1: Yeah so first with body language, body language is tied closely to your emotions. And so the the, rep, the the body language that we see is really a representation of what's happening on the inside. And one of the mistakes people make with body language is that they read too much into it. Can I tell if this person is lying? Not really, but we have some signals. Really, what we can tell with uh, body language, um, for the most part, is whether they like or dislike something. Comfort versus discomfort. Those are the main things. The best book on this is called What Everybody is Thinking by Joe Navarro, a fantastic book. And so what you want to do is you want to pay attention to see whether or not somebody feels comfortable, safe, likes it, doesn't like it, those type of things. And you're looking for clusters of body language. So for instance, if I were to just cross my arms, that doesn't mean anything because that's just one gesture. But Mm -hmm. with a cluster, we're looking for two or three gestures within uh, about a two second span. So if I cross my arms and then lean back, okay, I cross my arms to make myself feel safe to, to almost like a self hug and protecting myself. And I leaned back, meaning that I'm creating distance. That's something that shows dislike, discomfort. So I wonder what that was. It might have been triggered by a thought that they had. It might have been triggered by something that I said. But for me, what it is, is for me, it's a trigger for curiosity. I need to know what that was. And so I'm going to ask a question based on what I'm seeing, and I'm going to try to learn from that. And then as far as making sure that our emotions don't get a hold of us, I think What's cool about the compassion and curiosity framework is that it can be flipped. So it's not just for the external negotiation, but also for the internal. So Mm -hmm. before the conversation, I'm acknowledging and validating my own emotions. I'm getting curious with compassion toward myself to figure out why I feel this way, what led me to this. And then after that, I'm going to joint problem solving, where I'm reconciling the differences between my heart and my mind. What satisfies me emotionally? What satisfies me substantively? And so then I can have a little bit more clarity. And then I can kind of determine before the conversation even begins what things during this conversation could set me off. And so it makes me more emotionally prepared and more emotionally stable during the conversation.
0: Sure. And I love what you said, you know, body language being sort of representation of, you know, the inside and how you feel and and it shows. So that's uh, really interesting. Uh, There's a great quote by Stephen Covey. We often listen with the intent to reply, then understand. Uh, and, you know, this can be both destructive and, and it's hard to break out of at times, especially in a negotiation, uh, because it prevents us from really understanding the other party. Uh, so I'm curious, what are some uh, more effective ways to listen?
1: Well, I think first we have to practice. And um, I think in some of our closer relationships, what we should try to do is practice by not saying anything. Like, seriously, just listen. And your goal in the conversation is just to listen, summarize, ask questions, listen. And treat specific conversations as just exercises in listening. Because one of the things that you have to overcome is that desire to say something. It's like a compulsion. And so you have to train yourself to recognize that compulsion. And then during an actual negotiation, ask yourself, is this something that needs to be said? If not, then don't say it. Give them the opportunity to talk. And so it's you have to train yourself. And for me, as a lawyer, you know I'm all I have to get over that listening to respond, right? Um, it's tough, but it needs to take practice because this isn't a natural response to these situations.
0: so the practice is is really important in that. What are common you know barriers and what are the hardest barriers, in fact, that that you see in negotiation that that people miss and and how can we better respond and and you know make the most out of it?
1: That's a really good one. Um, I think one of the biggest barriers is the the challenge of managing emotions, like we said before, and recognizing that these conversations aren't really going to be won and lost based on logical, rational arguments in a lot of these situations. As much as we would want it to be based on data, statistics, information, facts, logical reasoning... A lot of times it's not. And we jump to that as our our only thing. And I think it's almost like that saying, if um, your only tool is a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. Um, You can't adjust. It's too rigid, too inflexible. So we have to be better um, at wrestling with these emotional challenges that Mm -hmm. people might have because they're not going to be able to even process your great argument that you came up with if they're in a hyper emotional state
0: makes a lot of sense in a podcast episode, focus on how to negotiate when others have the power. You mentioned how our ten- our tendency is to give things away because we are even certain that the other party wants them. Uh, wondering if you can expand on this
1: yeah. when when we believe the other party has the power, then it makes it more likely for us to make concessions. But we don't think strategically about it. We don't mm-hmm. think whether or not we need to make those concessions. That's the first thing. The second thing is we have to understand how our threat response works, because our threat response will lead us to have a narrowing of our focus, where if we're back in the jungle um, and uh, uh, you know a jaguar is chasing us, I don't want to be thinking about you know my taxes or anything like that. I need to just focus on this jaguar and how I can get away from it. That's it and so it's beneficial in those truly survivor based situations but the reality is that's not where we are right now cognitively and socially we're at a point where we're dealing with higher level things but our brain mm-hmm. still responds with that lower level response and so what we need to do is expand our perspective and start to think about different parts of the situation you have to find ways to find your power where's your value you know if you're in a situation where it is a um a manager or your boss or something like that you will focus on the fact that, oh, man, they have all the power. If they wanted to, they could just fire me, all that stuff. But what unique value do you bring? And even if it's, um, you're struggling to find that, just recognize it's not easy to just replace somebody. There's a cost for <laughs> replacing people. It's a lot harder than people think. And so um, I think what we have to do is be willing to stand in that moment of discomfort, to make an analysis in the moment, to see what really needs to be done. Take some time and question it. And only adjust when it really, 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 truly is a situation where you don't have any other option.
0: Sure. So it's so important to expand your perspective. But to take it further, how do you become comfortable with asking for what you want?
1: You have to practice, and, and this is something mm-hmm. that I've struggled with. That's why my, my book and the TED Talk both have the name Finding Confidence and Conflict, because it's, it's really not only just walking through my journey, but helping people to create their own journey, to overcome their own unique emotional and, and psychological barriers to being their best selves in these conversations. And so when you think about asking, it's not so much the asking uh, that's the challenge. It's the fear of what happens if it doesn't go well. Mm-hmm. That's what people back the fear of rejection and rejection hurts and it can it hurts in a, a like a literal sense they actually did a study where they gave people who just experienced rejection analgesics and it, it grew like a Tylenol like a painkiller and it actually reduced the amount of pain that they felt and discomfort that they felt so it's actually processed like a real legitimate pain which is wild and so um, the, the, the pain associated with rejection is very real and so what we need to do is put ourselves through some level of desensitization training where we say, all right, I'm going to ask for things that I don't think I can get. I'm going to start asking for more things and I'm going to actually invite rejection. This is something I did. I called it uh, rejection therapy. It was actually from a, a mm-hmm. TED talk called, by Zha Zhang, which was really, really good, um, called I think 100, 100 Days of Rejection. Mm-hmm. And so I started asking for things I, I shouldn't get by like going to a, a coffee shop and asking for an extra pastry. Um, you know, whatever it might be, trying to negotiate at Walmart, (laughs) you know, these these really ridiculous types of situations just so I could hear somebody tell me no and Mm -hmm. just so I would feel a lot more comfortable and recognize, hey, that person just told me no and I'm still here. I'm completely fine. I'm still in existence. And so I think what people have to do is they have to go through this desensitization training. So you are still asking for what you want and you're not afraid of that no, because you've been through it enough times that you recognize, okay, this, this is okay. If, even if they say no, I'll survive.
0: Right. And I, I love his TED Talk. I, I thought that was one of the most funniest things I've, I've seen is <laughs> him... You know, having lists of things and some of the things, you know, going up to a random person and, and asking to play soccer in their backyard. And one of the things he found was, you know, the more people you ask, someone is bound to say yes, regardless of how ridiculous the idea may be. Um, So having that sort of, uh, you know, idea in the back of your mind, uh, because you're right, you know, negot- uh, rejection is, is real, and, and but it's also very common. I mean, so, you know, you mentioned practice. What are other ways to to handle rejection and negotiation?
1: I think one of the things that's important to do is recognize that every decision leads to another decision. It's never over. Sure. Never over, right? And um, negotiation is a tool. It's a tool that helps you to get what you want, but there are other tools that you could use. And it's other people that you could have, too, right? So if I'm negotiating with you, Martin, and you don't give me what I need, okay, fine. I'm going to try to think about my alternatives. And one of the best ways to improve your confidence in a negotiation is to actually think through your alternatives before the discussion begins. You're asking yourself, what happens if I don't get this deal? What's my alternative? Sometimes before the conversation, what I'll do is I'll negotiate with my alternative. This, I'll negotiate with plan B to make plan B even better, which gives me more confidence in the negotiation with person A because I know that plan B is really solid and I just made it even better. Mm -hmm. And so I think just positioning yourself more strategically in the interaction will help you, um, to, to get over rejection a lot faster. And I think it's also important to remember that not only do you have other options, you'll survive, but also the negotiation never really dies per se. Like uh, I, whenever I end a negotiation, it's like, it's over for now. So I say, um, Based on where we are right now, it doesn't seem like we can make it happen. But if something changes on your end, let me know. If something changes on my my end, I'll let you know, right? So even if it doesn't work out now, I'm letting people know, listen, if something changes, we could come back and make this happen. Mm -hmm. And so um, then it gives you an opportunity to come back in the future and still make it work. Uh, But I don't feel the pressure to do that necessarily because I have an alternative.
0: Right. And it, I think it also helps them to feel, you know, sort of more comfortable and more trust in you, knowing that, you know, you're not just um, you're not just working on, you know, making them do this, but rather you're giving them the option. So it's really good. And how can you use negotiation to, to build and expand your relationships?
1: I say this. When it comes to negotiation, there are three pillars. Getting what you want, avoiding things you don't want, and strengthening relationships. And in my opinion, the third pillar is the most important, strengthening relationships. So negotiation can and should be used as a relationship-building tool. And so one of the key methods of using negotiation as a relationship-building tool is through curiosity, asking questions. It is a very great tool for gathering information. And when you're having these conversations, you're learning more about the other person. You're learning more about what they need, what they want, what they're afraid of, what they like, what they don't like, all those things. And it puts you in a better position to solve their problems and puts you in a better position to see opportunities for yourself down the road. But even if those opportunities don't present themselves, you still navigated that conversation in a way that makes the person like you more. The, the greatest negotiators speak the least during the negotiation. That's really the way it should work. Mm-hmm. But that's very rare in these conversations. Most people are kind of selfish communicators where they're trying to talk over, talk more than or not even listening to the other side. But if you can demonstrate the key fun- fundamental uh, principles of empathy, respect, listening, curiosity, um, you're a great conversational partner. People are drawn to you. And it's a great way to use negotiation as a, a powerful networking tool.
0: Right. it's really good. So are there any final thoughts you'd like to share around negotiation before we conclude?
1: I will hearken uh, back to the words of Nike. Just do it. Just <laughs> mm-hmm. do it i think a lot of people overthink things and you just have sure. to put it into action you have to put it into action and these aren't natural responses it's not natural to be threatened in a situation and then get curious and ask questions it's not mm-hmm. that's not a natural response So that's why you have to practice it so my challenge to everybody is to, to first use the compassionate curiosity framework uh, acknowledge and validate emotions, get curious with compassion and join problem solving, you'll have an opportunity to do that at some point t- today or tomorrow if you interact with people, I guarantee you. Mm-hmm. The next thing is prepare effectively. And so um, I forget if I mentioned it earlier, but if you go to AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash guide, you can get access to all of our negotiation guides that will help you to prepare effectively. And so if you have a big negotiation coming up, whether it's a salary negotiation, talking to somebody about politics or race or um, anything it might be, we have over 15 guides that can help you systematically prepare for those conversations. So take that opportunity uh, to use those free resources to put yourself in a better mm-hmm. position. All
0: right. Preparation and practice both being you know, so crucially important. So it's so really well said. Uh, well, Kwame, thank you again so much for for your time. Your thoughts have just been really helpful uh, to hear. So thank you again, and, and I hope all the best for you. Uh, listeners, okay. if you have any questions, please feel free to contact us uh, via LinkedIn. But with that, thank you everyone for listening and have a great day.